Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast. Podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to Zach Medlock and what it's going to take to reach Memphis, Tennessee. I started to train, 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 and we saw a few people come to Christ, not many, uh, but around that time, I started to become friends with a guy named Ron Surgeon. Uh, we had gone to Honduras together and just started to hit it off. We realized that we were both reading the book T for T at the same time, and uh, uh, two different people told us, gave us the book or told us about the book. We were reading at the same time. We were just really excited about what we were learning about CPM and, and uh CPM, church planting movements, was so new to me. Um, didn't really understand it, uh, but I knew that I, I liked what I was reading and I wanted to see God move. I've been reading Acts uh, um, at least once or twice a year since I was probably 18, and my whole life I've wanted to see a movement of God. I've wanted to see things that happen in the book of Acts happen in my backyard. And had never seen anything like that. Um, honestly, I look at, uh, I, I can look back and think most of my high school and college years, I looked at the Bible and just looked at the Christianity and the Bible and Christianity uh, around me. And Christianity around me was really dull and boring. Um, it wasn't exciting. I, I, I wasn't seeing God move, but I wanted that. And Ron and I saw that in the book T for T, and that excited us. And Really, we became instant um, close friends because of this passion that the Lord was stirring in our hearts. Well, in July of 2012 um, was another very important part of my life. We were we heard about this training, a four-day training in Houston, Texas, with Inkai and Justin Dell and Steve Smith and. Ron and I and three other guys, we went down to Houston, Texas for a four-day in-depth T for T training, and we were trained in uh, these kingdom principles and the how-tos and more and more things that we needed to um, see a movement of God and see multiplication and and, uh, see fruit. And um, Maybe the most important thing that happened that week in my life was that I got to share the gospel with a kid on the side of the road that uh, one of the guys we were with, he turned the van to the side of the road and picked up this kid. We shared the gospel with him. And, I mean, so you're at the training. Yeah. At some point you're driving along the road and you just spot someone. Exactly. This is John. John Sager. Yeah. He, that literally, we were all so hungry to share the gospel. So uh, you spot this guy. What, what happened next? Well, John Sager pulls over the side of the van, and we're like, John, what are you doing? He said, there's a, there's a kid on the side of the road. Let's, let's see if he needs a ride. And uh, I was laughing. I was in the very back seat laughing because I'm, I'm thinking, if this guy gets in the van, uh, we're going to attack him with the gospel. I mean, we had just got out of this really electric meeting, this conference, where we were all so convicted of just sharing the gospel once a week or whatever we were like man we are just we've got to we've got to share 
we've got to get this word out. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so within his kid gets in the van, which is a miracle uh, because we are a bunch of big, scary guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ron is uh, just a, he had huge dreads at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a guy that was actually like an ex con or, or something. He had tattoos, like a bodybuilder in prison, bald head. Um, and what, it was what a, happened when he when the kid get how old is this this young he's man? He's sixteen. His name's Randy. He was walking home from a baseball practice, and his mom uh, didn't come and pick him up. So it was the first time he ever decided to walk home, and we picked him up within the first few minutes of him deciding to walk home. He had five mile walk, and um, it was a total god thing. He gets in the car, and within just a minute of small talk, John says, Hey, Randy, you see that guy in the back with the beard? That was me. He said, He's got a story he wants to share with you. <laughs> I'm laughing. Okay. And I share, um, I share Creation of Christ, just a, um, just a way to share the gospel. I shared it in about five minutes, uh, really quick version. And uh, by the end of getting to Christ, uh, by the time we got to Christ, we were in his apartment complex driveway, and um, he said, um, thanks, guys, but uh, my, my dad is a, a, a Christian, or has, you know says he's a Christian, but he left our family two years ago, and he lives 45 minutes away from me, and I haven't seen him in two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so really his dad had burned some, uh, just really hurt the name of Christ in his life. And um, so you could tell he was emotional over that, his dad leaving his family. And we um, just loved on Randy and uh, asked what needs he had, how we Mm. could pray for him. He said his family was really struggling financially. It was a single mom raising four sons. He had three little brothers. So we actually prayed for him and um, gave him some money there to give to his mom and um, said, give half of this to your mom. So uh, we prayed for Randy. He was teared up, and uh, he left. And um, right before he left, I wrote down my name and number on a card. said, Randy, if you ever want to talk more about Jesus, and uh, if you ever need anything, just give me a call. Mm-hmm. So he gets out of the van. We pray for him. And... Uh, in the van, again, uh, we just said, Lord, would you just uh, open up the doors of this house? And we actually started to pray for a house of peace. And this is the first time I'd ever asked God to give us a house of peace. And I don't know why we were praying these things, because I never had any precedent to pray the things that we had. Uh so we left the parking lot, and within about three minutes, three or four minutes, I get a phone call from... Randy's mom. She is from Argentina, I believe. Um, she had a thick accent. She was just concerned about who are these men who picked up yeah, her son. Yeah. She said, "Who are you?" And you know, and she just wanted to know who we were. And uh, I was waiting for her to mention something about the money that we told Randy to give her. And um, she never said anything about it. And we were like, "Man, that, that dude just took the cash and ran." <laughs> so. Um, she just said, okay, I'm just very concerned. I've told my son never to be, you know, to, to ride with any strangers. And, yeah. But thank you uh, for, for bringing him. And we said, oh, yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. And uh, we hung up. Um, 
we hung up and we prayed because, uh, again, we just prayed. Man, we prayed so much that day. Mm. And we got to the hotel and about 10 minutes later, and about five minutes after we get to the hotel, I get another phone call, same number. And I pick up the phone and she says, who, 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 uh, Randy, um, he, he gave me this money. Who, who are you guys? Why, why would you do this? And um, she was just so confused. Why would we give her this money, these random guys, pick up her son and, and pray for him and give him this money? And So it was so funny, Steve. I, I said, guys, um, she's on the phone. And they all huddled around the phone. We're in the hotel room, and there's like five like heads surrounded around this phone. We're all listening in. And um, it was just a, man, it was such a, a neat time. But she, um, we said, uh, her, her name was Miss Edith. And we said, Miss Edith, we, we know about uh, your husband who, who left your family. We pray for, for your, your son and your family that the Lord would give you strength. And uh, we just wanted to bless your family. Uh, God has saved our lives. And the least we could do is be a blessing to your family. And she just starts to weep over the phone. And um, um, so long story short, we asked if we could take her family out to dinner two days later. And we, uh, she agreed. And two days later, we go to CC's Pizza. That's where they insisted. We, we tried to take, take them somewhere nicer, but. Uh, I wish I could go into the details of the story, but I don't want to take too much time. So, uh, long story short, God, the Holy Spirit busted up into CC's that night, and uh, she said that she wanted to um, come back to the Lord, that she had been uh, a follower, a Christian in Argentina, and has been running away from the Lord. She wants to come back to the Father. And she repented in tears and CeCe's Pizza, and uh, her son's watching their mom just weep mm-hmm. and in need for Christ. And uh, Randy gave his life to the Lord. Uh, we walked outside. People were watching us, and CeCe's yeah. were crying, and it was just a, some, a really powerful time. We walked outside. We all got in a big circle and prayed and rejoiced, and uh, uh, someone at the table had mentioned baptism to Randy. Randy said, Mom, can I be baptized? Mm-hmm. And she said, absolutely. And we hop in the vans and uh, our rental van. We drive to their apartment complex. They had a pool. and It was about 9.45 at night. Mm-hmm. We go in the pool. There's actually other people there. We got to share the gospel. People heard about eight or nine other people heard the gospel that night. And uh, there was one man listening that I thought that was about to jump in and be baptized. And yeah. Yeah. right there, it was pretty powerful. And um, um, I baptized the first person ever, Randy. Um, that was in July 2012 at f- about 10 o'clock at night in Houston, Texas. And when I was baptizing Randy, it was like the Lord, it was so slow motion, it was like the Matrix. And the Lord was saying, Zach, you're going to do this for the rest of your life. You're, you're finally understanding what it means to make disciples. And, um, and also, um, the Lord had taught me about houses of peace and that whole family. Um, 
uh, said that they wanted to follow Christ. And uh, two weeks later, I get an email from Randy's 14-year-old little brother. Mm-hmm. And he says, Zach, my brother is a completely different person, and I've decided to follow Jesus as well. And um, so we left Houston with more faith than I've ever had in my whole life, Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, just so much faith. Uh, I look back and that was one of the best rides of my life from Houston coming back to Memphis, knowing that I wanted to see what we had experienced there in Houston every day um, in the Memphis metro area. And within just a few months, my heart just grew so much for the city of Memphis in the Memphis metro area of 1.4 million people. And uh, Ron and I, we were just training, training, training from July 2012 to November 2013 when we had our first mid-level. And between July 2012 and November 2013, we saw 90 groups started. Somewhere around 150 professions of faith, we saw about 90 baptisms. Um, And we saw all the way up to the fourth generation believer. What do you mean by fourth generation believer? We saw someone come to Christ and baptize, who led someone else to Christ and was baptized, who led someone else to Christ and was baptized, and who led someone else to Christ who was baptized. Um, Steve, I'd never seen anything like this. Uh, I mean, this was just so new. Um, It was so exciting. Ron and I, we were getting, after just a few months, it was a normal thing to text each other and say, hey, someone else came to Christ, or hey, someone else, you know, um, uh, you know, shared the gospel. That you know, just, um, It was an amazing time, and it still is an amazing time. We're, we're still, um, things have changed. We went from just getting excited when people were sharing the gospel to getting excited when people were professing faith to getting excited when people were baptized to getting excited when people who came to faith were baptizing others. And um, it was happening. We were starting to see acts uh, happen in the Memphis metro area. And uh, really, we were starting to see God's kingdom come. Well, November 2013 was another really important part for us. Uh, We went to a mid-level in Austin, Texas, and we're with about 20, 30 other practitioners. People have been putting this work um, to the test in America for the last year to two years, and we were with people of of our passion, and mm-hmm. they were our friends. We were instant family. It was one of the most, it was one of the best weeks of my life. I mean, I remember that time like it was yesterday, just being with with some coaches, people that have seen movements. Uh, they invested in us and started to pour into us, but because the Lord was was uh, really starting to move in, in Memphis. And um, uh, we got some new tools and just kind of got some coaching from 2013. Uh, in November 2013, in 2014, we focused more on generation growth. And um, we also realized that we needed to aim for healthy church. We were seeing, uh, we had a, a very small infant disciple-making movement that was going on. Um, I don't even know if you'd call it a movement, but 
we, we saw a lot of new believers in, in baptisms and, and some gym growth. Um, but we weren't seeing any churches. We were seeing groups started. Mm-hmm. And um, we knew by the end of 2013 that we needed to aim for church because Jesus died for the church and nothing else. He didn't die for small groups uh, or cell groups or anything like that. He, want, he wants to see um, the church uh, be the church. And so uh, we knew that we needed to aim for a healthy church. So how, so how did you th- do that? In 2014, we started to gather uh, as many of the newer believers we could and form it, uh, help them form into a healthy church, and that was just a big mess. Um, we saw a lot of the groups that started fade out uh, very quickly, and we kind of started from scratch almost, Steve, hmm. in 2014. Um, a lot of the... People have come to Christ since July 2012 and 2014. They assimilated back into local churches um, because that's kind of what we were. Uh, that was kind of really the only option we gave them. But what we decided to do is teach people um, to obey Christ that helped them get towards church function. As well, and so we wanted to see community started, and so that's what we intentionally did. Um, we saw um, a few households come to Christ. We um, just started sharing the gospel more and more in our life. It went from once a week to three to five times a week uh, to some many weeks, ten ten times a week. We knew that we needed to sow the seed more, to see more people come to Christ to see communities started. So we just started um, with uh, aiming for what we call Field 4, which is the a fourth part of the kingdom growth plan of church formation. Um, so in 2014, we set a goal in January to see 12 churches started. And uh, I've never seen one started, Steve, not mm-hmm. one. And um, But we had precedent. That we could see way more than 12 churches if God wanted to, but we set a goal to see 12, and by November, no, October, we saw 18 churches that had started. Mostly took, with, with new believers? Uh, every single one of them hmm. was with new believers. We saw about 60 people baptized in 2014. Um so we actually had less baptisms in 2014 than 2013, um, but we had more churches. And the growth and the sanctification was happening a lot uh, more quickly uh, for these newer believers because of the church and the community part missing piece, uh, that, that piece that was missing in 2013. Um, so that was an exciting time. In 2014, I personally started to focus on students at the University of Memphis. And I um, uh, knew that the University of Memphis is the largest university in the Memphis metro area. And someone that needed to be on campus and we needed to get something started there. Mm-hmm. So in 2000, 
really the end of 2013, I started to have my eyes on U of M. Uh, I walked on campus by myself, didn't know a single person uh, on campus, and I asked the Lord that morning, God, give me a person of peace. Give me a platform, a place to start training some believers. And I walked into BCM, which I knew the culture because I had been a part of the BCM uh, years previous. What's BCM? The Baptist Collegiate Ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's a ministry of students from... 150 students that are kind of actively a part of this campus ministry. And the first man I met there was actually the director, uh, Jeff Jones, which was a really neat thing. And I just started to introduce myself to to Jeff and tell him that I was a a full-time missionary to the city of Memphis and wanted to see God move on this campus and, um, wanted to share with him some stories of what God had been doing in the city, what God was doing around the world. And he was really busy that day. They had this thing called Free Food Friday. There's tons of students in there. Uh, He's running around trying to take care of things. And at first, I remember, uh, you know, him just saying, you know, who who is this guy? You know, I've got things to do. And then his body language started to change to where he was, uh, really starting to listen more and more. And um, we talked for about 25 minutes. And at the end of the time, he, he said, let's get coffee. So the next morning we had coffee, and that lasted about two hours, just casting vision and sharing what God was doing in the city and around the world. And he said, this is exactly what we need. Can you come and spend as much as much time as you have um, with my students? And so um, I had an immediate platform to be on campus uh, within a day, and the Lord set that up. Um, so for most of 2014, I spent about an average of 15 to 20 hours a week with students and on campus, and I just started casting vision and training in different ways, from weekly trainings to uh, just all sorts of training, because uh, we have learned that training is a filter to find the faithful. It doesn't matter how you roll out the training so much, whether you do a a weekly training or a weekend training or just a one-day training or a two-day training. um, The point is is to train to see who does anything. Okay. And so I think uh, in 2014, I probably trained around 40 students and – I'd say maybe six or seven of those students were faithful uh, to use the process and use the tools that they are learning. And you just tell the Lord has given them a heart to, uh, to see disciples made. And um, within about six months, we saw around 15 students come to Christ. And that was really, really exciting. Um, we, uh, um, the semesters changed and in, I guess the spring semester 2014, uh, we saw more students come to Christ. And by that time, I started to really identify some of the leaders, the students that were going to carry this on. Give us a, an example. I mean, you can use their name or change their name, but one, one of those students that you trained who was, you know, faithful and fruitful. Yeah. Um, well, there was... There were two girls. Um, I'm trying to think of particularly uh, uh, the BCM ministry. 
there was two girls that were very faithful. They were honestly the shyest, quietest girls in, in the BCM ministry. And um, they were probably the most faithful from the BCM ministry. Uh, they, they just had this strong hunger to see God um, move and just to see Him glorified. They loved God, basically. And you could see that in their hearts, and they were their best friends, still are. And they started to use some of these principles, and they got to lead a, uh, a Chinese to Christ, uh, and a Japanese to Christ, a Japanese person to Christ. And, um, man, they were just so excited about what God was doing. They started to share the gospel more and more. I don't think that they saw anyone that they led to Christ leading anyone else to Christ, uh, but they're still they're still moving forward. Um, I'd say that they were some of the most faithful through the BCM, but there's two other students that I found outside the BCM that actually are have become maybe the strongest leaders on campus. Well, not maybe, but uh, certainly the strongest leaders uh, as far as people that are putting this into practice. And uh, these two guys, uh, just uh, different ways that I, I ran into them and met them. Um, but I started to train them. They were n- very new believers. Started to train them, and uh, they immediately started to share the gospel and use everything that I was giving them. And this was sometime in 2014. I, I can't remember when I started with these guys, I think around January 2014. And um, they started to share the gospel and started to see some people come to Christ, meaning probably four or five people profess Christ to these two guys in the first two months of spending time with them. And uh, so I I really honed in on these two guys. Um, The girls I couldn't really hone in on because I didn't want to spend my time you know, with these girls. And so that was kind of difficult um, because I had to really train them in a group setting. Um, But the guys I could spend more time with, and I did. And uh, these two guys have um, really, I've I've pulled off campus a lot more. I'm only on campus a few hours a week, if that now, because these guys are going to lead, um, I think, in the future what, um, the work of training and sharing the gospel and raising leaders on campus. Um, and what do you see these two guys doing? What have they, you know, been able to do so far? Well, within maybe about eight months, they both have started a church. Uh, they have combined, seen about 15 people profess Christ around nine people baptized. Um, and uh, they are starting to, over the last couple months, they've started to get off campus and actually take the gospel into homes and neighborhoods around the Memphis metro area. <clears throat> we have a vision of no place left. Uh, we get that from Romans fifteen twenty three, And Ron and I, um, and others are desiring to see a thousand churches started within the next three years. And um, we want to see every zip code have a new church started that multiplies to the fourth generation. 
and there's 42 zip codes we've identified with 5,000 people or more. The average zip code containing around 25,000 people. And uh, we would like to see a fourth generation stream of churches in every zip code. That's 42 streams of 4G church. Um, so this is have- broken out of just university students now, and it's, it's going into the, the wider community. Absolutely. And that was kind of the dream at the beginning. I had no clue what that was going to look like. Honestly, I was really timid and um, just did not see college students getting into houses of peace and leading households and families to Christ just because I've never seen that before. And honestly, didn't have a precedent for that. I had a precedent for, for most things <clears throat> prior to that. But I'd been looking for examples where college students were getting getting off campus into homes, leading people to Christ, and I didn't hear hardly any of that. And so we, I just wanted to see that happen. <laughs> Why not? Um, and they have. Uh, they are both of these guys, and now other college students are um, engaging different zip codes, different neighborhoods every week. Some of them are out in the harvest two, three times a week. And um, they're looking for houses of peace. They're in a few houses of peace right now and heading towards church health. So they're they're planting churches. We're helping college students see that Jesus, uh, Jesus' methods are inspired just like his words are inspired. Um, and so Luke 10 has been one of the most important passages for us to understand. And so when a college student understands that they can go two by two, house to house, looking for a house of peace. Uh, we we um, we get them out there. We get them out in the harvest, and we say, "Come with us. Let's let's go. Let's go out in the harvest. Let's go knock on some doors and see what God does." Mm-hmm. And many many times, we have a home that allows us to pray for them. They open the door, and within five minutes, they're weeping because. They have an intense need that we get to pray for. And um, it's a special thing for college students to experience that. And they see, wow, the harvest um, is plentiful. So we, we, we want to see a labor force out of college campuses that enter the harvest and that enter confidently, um, that they are carrying the message of the Lord to these homes. And um, they have uh, just as much... Um, 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 commanding, commissioning, ordaining as anyone else does to go and share the gospel with families and start churches. So what's next? We have been getting more organized with tracking and uh, just seeing the city, uh, understanding the places of need, so we have really looked at the zip codes as a primary source of reaching the city geographically. We also want to see all um, uh, levels of income reach low, lower class, middle class, upper class. We want to see every ethnic group of a thousand people or more reach and have a new church that started. 
So the plan is to, uh, for this year, we want to see 34 zip codes in the Shelby County area, which is the largest county. We want to see 34 zip codes have a new church. So far, we've had seven zip codes with new church, a new church started, meaning someone uh, has come to Christ and been baptized, and they and, and others are meeting um, together on a regular basis, and they're committed to obeying Jesus. Um, and they're heading towards church health. They're heading towards the functions of a healthy church. Um, so we call those church starts, and we are aiming for them to go deep and become healthy, and they are. I've never seen sanctification happen so quickly. Um, uh, really, just people just gain the confidence and the hunger and the love for God in just a short amount of time. It's amazing um, through this work, uh, through this process. So, honestly, Steve, next is just to keep on doing what we're doing. We just got to keep on sharing the gospel, keep going out in the neighborhoods, don't overcomplicate things. That's all we've got time for today. If you want to stay in touch with what God is doing in Memphis through Zach Medlock and Ron Surgeon and others, visit NoPlaceLeftMemphis.org.